time to play with pain, where sports and inaccuracy collide. Now, here's your host, veteran sportscaster, and the voice of the International Speed Fishing Championships, Jet Waterhouse. <laughs> ah, brother! How are you, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. My guest today, great young writer and Hollywood raconteur. You've heard her words all over Netflix and Twitter. Camille Corbett. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, with Camille about what the hell showbiz looks like to the new generation in just a bit. But first... Time for the Waterhouse Update, brought to you by Cacti, the prickly necktie. Discourage pesky tie oglers with Cacti. NBA playoffs, Clippers like a fat German in a hot tub. They just keep coming at you. Utah's big problem, they just realized, uh uh-oh, we're from Utah. Milwaukee pulling a Lazarus back from the dead. Brooklyn, more injuries than a Johnny Knoxville retrospective. Phoenix beat Denver like an Italian chef working over the gnocchi dough. And Atlanta, more surprising than a decent Hallmark movie. That wrap-up sponsored by Slacker Barrel. Come on in and eat or not. We don't really care. America's pastime. No, not trying to hide your OnlyFans logins. Baseball, the Dodgers fighting through injuries like the heroine in a Darren Aronofsky film. Padres in trouble, waiting for the Pope to reassign them to a parish in the upper Midwest. Yankees stumbling like the control group in a row hypno study. The Mets in first, Sloan Kettering loading up on giddiness vaccine. That item sponsored by Pentecostco. Save money and your soul at Pentecostal. <laughs> Olympics! American distance runner DQ'd from the trials for illegal substance. She claims it came from a burrito. Oh, so that's how they're getting it over the border now, eh? Japanese officials handing out 150,000 condoms to athletes. However, <laughs> due to COVID protocols, they're recommending you stretch them over your iPhone. And finally, this week in sports history, the year 1938, the place Brooklyn, New York. In the first night game ever, the Reds' Johnny Vandermeer tosses a no-hitter. Said officials, we should probably add lights or something. This Waterhouse Update brought to you by Observesa, the beer that's good for your eyes. Now, finally, it's talk time. My guest today, writer, Twitter pro, currently on staff at Netflix. That's the new Hollywood Death Star. Uh, Netflix, they run everything. Camille Corbett. Camille, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? Good, good. You look phenomenal. Listen, we're going to talk uh, a little sports later, uh, but let's talk a little uh, Camille Corbett. You went to high school uh, just outside Atlanta. Is that right? Like Marietta? I went to high school in Marietta, Georgia, and I was raised by my um, father, who actually played in the NFL. Whoa! Where did he play? The Cleveland Browns in the 70s. Holy smokes, what was his name? Billy Corbett. And it's all he ever talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Can you blame him? That's the last time Cleveland was relevant. I know. Your dad played on some good teams, Brian Seck. Sam Rotigliano, I think, was the coach. Wow. Uh, and what position did he play? I don't know positions in football. Yeah, you don't care. But he's like a lineman. He was like 6'5". Wow. Yeah. So he was a big dude. Now, did he uh, did he want you to get into sports? Did you play any yes. sports? In 
he was so obsessed with me playing golf. I actually golfed for the first time in a year last yeah, I mean yesterday. But yeah, he was obsessed with me being like a professional golfer. And I would like practice like three hours a day, like as a kid. It was horrible. <laughs> wow. Now, was it horrible because you really kind of didn't want to do it? Or? I enjoy golf, but not to that level. I did not want to be Tiger Woods. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to play with my dad like every week. <laughs> That's awesome. What do you shoot? What's your like? Uh, what's your handicap? I, it's not that good right now because I haven't played in a year. I actually hit balls like two days ago or a day ago, but normally I shoot in the 80s. What's your, wow. That's pretty good. That's pretty solid. That's below bogey golf. Uh, I'm shooting for a bogey golf. That's a life. That's a bucket list for me <laughs> is to, well, is to, to break 85 at some point in my damn life. Well, there was a point where I was just like playing constantly and I would always be um, like doing like classes and it was just a lot. It was just too much. Yeah. Too so much. that it was just like, and if you constantly study it, you know how you're going to hit the ball. You won't make a mistake. You just have to sort of like meditate before you do it. Yeah. And then you do it because you only have one chance. You just, cause golf is just like it, it's based off like you messing up even just a little bit. It's so annoying. Yeah. I, you know, I was at the driving range once. This is a true story. And uh, we're way off base already. But anyway, uh, I'm at the driving range and uh, I'm waiting to get a bucket of balls and go up to an open slot. And uh, uh, there's an Asian woman next to me, probably 60. And she's waiting, too. She was in line ahead of me. Spot opens up. The Asian woman's about to get up and go to the spot. And a guy, classic sort of frat guy with Bermuda short barrels into the spot and just starts whacking balls and uh, i said uh, not cool she was next and uh he said i'll be out of here in 10 minutes and uh she said the greatest thing ever she just said you have bad attitude for golf and i just yeah it was perfect (laughs) that's you're supposed to be really courteous in golf and always care about other people like if you're being slow on the course you always have to let people pass you can tell someone that's not supposed to be on like golfing the golf field or whatever when you see them and then they're just like chilling with their buddies, drinking, not leaving like a hole. You've got to leave yeah. it people pass. You've got to just do better. Like yeah. it's not a hangout. People no. actually play. Some people actually play golf. No, that's right. Yeah. Decorum is important. Incidentally, yeah. sponsors, uh, sponsored by Incognito. You'd never guess we're plumbers. All right, so you played golf, went to high school there. Uh, then, uh, then you decide to go to Alabama. What makes you pick Alabama as a resident of Georgia? Hated rivals. I was a National Merit Scholar in Alabama. They are rich. They make so they much are. money from their football that they can pay like National Merit Scholars to be there. We have actually very similar scholarships to the football players um, because I, like, dated two of them. And so then, like, I just, like, compared. (laughs) I asked a lot of questions. And, and, like, honestly, they're very similar. Their scholarship offered them maybe, like, $5,000 more, which I think is horrible because they make so much money for the school. I'm so happy they can finally start making money next year or this year. Right. But yeah, like they should have been making money. I remember like I dated this one dude and he had posters of himself everywhere. And 
if they have this many posters, they're making all this money off just posters of him. Yeah. You know, like he sh- like that's just not right. And so um Alabama was a really great experience for that where I got to see like how people exploited student athletes. Yeah. And how fair it was. And sure like like even like the basketball players cuz I was friends with like basketball players like they would have like you know like closets full of like Nike's and uh-huh. stuff. Like that they were just given to them. Sure that's cool but like they should give gotten money even though their basketball team wasn't really good. Especially, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, hey, uh, you gotta, uh, you gotta pick your weapon down in Alabama country. That's football. Uh, yeah, football uh, yeah. That's pretty impressive. Incidentally, sponsored by a Nick Saban Cadillac Subaru. Uh, you're getting a car, whether you like it or not, at Nick Saban Cadillac Subaru. All right. So then you go to Alabama. You're a national merit scholar there. You get a Fulbright. Yeah. scholarship. Uh, I got to do the joke. I didn't even qualify for a half bright scholarship. Uh, Come on, everybody. That's right there. I had to hit it. All right. Now, how do you get a Fulbright? And then you wind up in Turkey. Um, so basically, when I was at Alabama, even though like the sports culture is really cool, like game days, crazy, amazing. I studied abroad half the time because it was also really racist there. I mean, obviously. In Tuscaloosa? <laughs> Hello. Yeah, Tuscaloosa could be a little rough at times. And so I just studied abroad in the UK. And during that time, I was like, you know, just traveling all around Europe. And so like, I'd been basically everywhere I wanted to go in Europe, except like Turkey, which I think is like Europe, Middle East mix, which yeah. I think is cool. And um, I'm obsessed with like the Byzantine Empire, the Ottoman Empire. And so I was like, okay. Um, I knew I wanted to apply to Turkey. I'd always wanted to be a Fulbright scholar. It was just a matter of which country I wanted to do it in just because Sylvia Plath, like my favorite poet, she did it in England. And I thought it was a really great experience. Then my favorite professor did it in college as well. And just solidified me even wanting to do it more. And so I basically how you apply for a Fulbright is you um, send a letter to the UN and like, Basically, it's, like, not very big of a package, literally, like, three pages. And then um, you, the UN, the United States, and then the host country has to approve you. And then from there, they allowed me to teach at a Turkish university, and I taught English as a second language and um, English literature um, at a little village in Turkey called Bolu at a bot. Is it by Saul Universitasi? And it was kind of cool. I enjoyed it, but I was 22 years old during my Fulbright. Like I graduated college when I was 20. No, so I was 21. Never mind. I was 21 during my Fulbright. So I was like the same age as a lot of my students. And I got into a lot of shenanigans and I definitely dated one of my students because I was <laughs> you know, hey, listen, uh, you're African-American. You're a fan of Sylvia Plath. You got to get away from Tuscaloosa, no matter if it's Polu or wherever it is, the small village. Uh, uh, so now a year abroad, right? A full year as a Fulbright scholar. Uh, then you come back. How'd you slide into the sleazy underbelly of uh, literature known as show business? Well, at first I was like a freelance copywriter and I like went back to living in Atlanta with my mom and I was like a manager at Walgreens and I literally wanted to like kill myself. And then um, this dude like that's friends with my aunt asked me to like write a like script for him. He managed to finagle a pitch to BET, but he had no script. 
And so I wrote it in like a week and he gave me $5,000 and I moved to LA. <laughs> wow. That is the craziest shoehorn into show business I've ever heard. So it was just a contact from an aunt of yours? Yeah. What was the show? Do you remember? Did anything ever happen with it? It was basically like Black Dude, Mr. Robot, and I don't think so. Like, literally, I'd never written a pilot before either. That was technically my first pilot. I'd only written like features because like I studied film Alabama. And so, yeah, it was kind of weird. I didn't really care what happened to it. I just wanted the money so I could go. The way I figured it, it wasn't going to be my masterpiece. It was just like uh, <laughs> something to learn off of. And anyways, I'm not a drama writer. It was like a whole hour long. Yeah. I write half hours mostly. So honestly, he didn't get my best work. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored by Throwbacks, the e-cigarette you light with a match. That little gem. That's a good lesson for anybody getting into showbiz. That doesn't have to be your best work. Walk away from it with a little bit of knowledge. So then uh, now you do you get into the comedy circles yourself? Do you go UCB? Uh, Yeah. you, You did. Immediately, as soon as I got to LA, I signed up for UCB. I was like waiting for that moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, that's like I, a big deal now. Like yeah. UCB, uh, uh, like uh, 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 a bunch of the comedians I know uh, back in their day, uh, like the Tonight Show was the thing, you know, to work your ass off in the clubs and get to the time. Nowadays, I imagine showbiz looks completely different. Like it's probably UCB, uh, probably thinking about trying to nail a job at. Netflix or Apple or Amazon or something like that. What are the three or four things you you were looking at and going, I got to try to get that to really get a leg up in showbiz? Um, Well, I knew I needed to make like some, like a pilot or like a short or like a feature that starred myself. And that I also wrote just so people knew that like, I wanted to be in front and behind the camera and control like um, a comedic, you know, a whole comedic tale myself. And then I wanted to like, you know, make friends with other comedians, like other people that were like, you know, funny and like were dedicated to comedy. And honestly, that was the hardest part because um, I feel like as women, we're often disparaged into being really into comedy. And so for a lot of my female friends, even if they were into comedy, it took them a while to like get their sea legs um, just because women are constantly told that they're not funny and all this stuff. And so like now I have a bunch of like girlfriends on them, like in my mid twenties, um, that like do comedy. But at first, like, I feel like a lot of people were really shy about it at first. And like, no, I don't want to perform or no, I don't want to like do that kind of, um, you know, stuff like, and now it's like way more open, but, and also like comedy is like very like somewhat like dudes, how, the way I view it is a lot of dudes that are comedians are <laughs> basically, you know, like they're very average looking and sure. um, they feel like um, after they become successful, even like a modicum of success, even like if a man that's as successful as I am and I'm just a staff writer, like they get like a modicum of the success. They are owed like female attention and all of this stuff. <laughs> 
And I don't think it's like right. It's not normal. And it like it stops like some women from being able to like, you know, work in this industry. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, I I like am getting too passionate about it, but yeah. No, so- it's beautiful. It's uh, fantastic. <laughs> Most guys I think uh, that you're describing get into comedy though for that exact reason. It's uh, like though. Just be like some people just like to be funny and have a good time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you have to get to the core of really why you're doing it. And eventually, uh, that sort of a emotional veil gets stripped away. And you got to go, okay, I'm in it to actually make people laugh or to say something creative, uh, not just to not just to uh, try to get to women or men. Yeah, or I'm not whatever. trying to Bill Cosby people. Yeah, <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. That's, uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the primo hashtag ticket out of Hollywood right there. So, so you go to UCB. Do you remember your first time on stage? Um, ever in my life or on UCB? Uh, well, uh, ever in your life. Did you have to work up a lot of guts to do it? Did yeah, you I used like- to have stage fright, uh-huh. but I don't anymore. Like, I only get it when I sing now. But, yeah, I... Basically, action cures, like, fear. I mean, I've been doing, like, plays since I've been, like, 15 years old. And, like, obviously, like, sang in church and all that stuff. So I've, like, been on, you know, stages or whatever, a bunch. That's a bit of a reversal because a lot of people would be more afraid to get up and tell jokes (laughs) than to get up and sing because you got a song. That's a bit of a buffer. Uh, you might have musicians or a track or something that's playing. That's a bit of a buffer. So, but you're, you're still uh, nervous singing. For me, it's like your body is the instrument then. Oh, that's true. So annoying, you know, like any, and no one's perfect. You know, you, you like listen to great musicians live and you're like, what happened? So it's like, you know, it's a constant struggle and you never want to be that person where it's like, you don't sound like a recording or you don't sound as good as they thought you would. So I feel like there's a lot of anxiety there for me. But in joke telling and comedy, like I feel like I can always save myself, you know? There's no saving yourself yeah. when you do a bad note. Oh, that's true. You got to keep going. You got to pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, one of the great quotes of all time. Your body is your instrument. That's so annoying. Uh, <laughs> I love that. So now, uh, where's the movie? Did you make the little movie starring you and uh, being produced and directed by yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Where I is it? How do we? Uh, where uh, did, did you did you post it anywhere? No, my team told me not to, which is like <laughs> making me sad. Um, it's like about a psychic that scams white women to being less racist. It's like don't trust the bitch in apartment twenty three meets Miss Cleo. It's called Crystal and Chelsea. And basically, it's me being a psychic scammer that scams white women to being less racist. And basically, I meet this, like, very, like, Instagram-obsessed, like, white girl. And she's, like, basically fucking her roommate's boyfriend, who coincidentally is, like, a really hot member of the KKK. And she's faced with a dilemma. And basically, I tell her, like, if she doesn't um, stop fucking him, like, the black spirits of MLK and, like, you know... Uh, all these other people will come and <laughs> for her and so she like obviously it's like a re- rehabilitation and like it's about female friendship and all of that 
Sure, sure. The hot KKK guy. Now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, they got the hood off him and said, hey, you know, he's not bad looking. He should no. move up to the Proud Boys. I feel like a lot of people like have dated racist people and you're like, what's going on? And I feel like sometimes I'm just like, it just means must be like pure attraction you're just like whatever you might have said the n-word while singing that rap song but like look at those abs (laughs) you gotta have those (laughs) i'm willing to overlook i'm going to move my line in the sand back a few yards just so we can make love on the beach uh uh, so now uh, you do that you get a team around you You said your team so you probably got agent manager kind of people uh, gathering around you liking you you're happy with your team at least so far uh do they help you slide into this netflix thing um i got where do you get that i got it in a weird way i've gotten all my own jobs which has been weird but basically that's show business incidentally that's you, you get you you wind up uh, it doesn't change uh, any level. You look around, you go, wait a second, I got those five jobs and I'm still handing over the commission, but it is good to have a good team. So so if your aunt had something to do with this one, I'm going to piss my pants. No. Okay, good. I don't have any nepotism really, which is unfortunate. I wish I had some, <laughs> like just an ounce. Basically what happened is like there was an exec at Netflix I really wanted to meet with. Like I knew him like on a personal level, like we had mutual friends. I asked him for like a meeting. He was like, no, I was like, fuck. Um, Then fast forward. I like um, basically I developed a show for Gunpowder and Sky. Um, It was like about failed CEOs and he was a former exec there. And I saw him at a Halloween party there and asked him again. And he was like, fine. And so then... Um, That's enthusiastic. <laughs> I know. My <laughs> friend, she was a coordinator at Netflix. She was like his coordinator. And she had read my novel that I like sent to CAA through Time's Up like years ago. And she enjoyed it because it was like a lesbian romance novel. And she's queer. And so she like read my samples. She was like, this is good. And before I even met with them, they were like, you should go up for this show. You'd be perfect for it. And it was my first showrunner meeting. At the time, I was like kind of at like a kind of like a sad place in my life. I was like saving up for my pilot to make it. Sure. Got in a Panavision grant. And like um, I like was like literally working three jobs. And then I took like an office PA job wow. on a Netflix show called The Upshaws. And um, I literally was there for three days and I got my staffing meeting and then I got staffed. And it was so weird telling them that I got staffed as an office PA. It was super weird. And then um, I was like on dad's top embarrassing me after that. Wow. So you are, they're sliding you around different shows as a Netflix staff writer? Well, no, I was literally an office PA on a Netflix show. And then I got hired on Dad's Up Embarrassing Me. I think basically the best way to understand TV shows right is now. like not yeah. to mention the network. I think every show is like its own little business. Wow. And like, sure, like certain people, like I think that Netflix did have um, the same execs on the upshots as Dad's Up Embarrassing Me. Actually, I know that for a fact. But um they don't track like office PA. So I don't think they even knew I was an office PA at the time, but right. they definitely knew when they were negotiating my deal that that was the case. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course. Yeah. When money comes into that. it, 
<laughs> but I don't think development knew that, but like business affairs knew that. So Netflix is just like, um, like any network is like a big place. Like not everything connects sometimes with information. Right. So you, uh, it's amazing. So you're hustling constantly. Uh, it is nothing in a way uh, for you to think, um, oh, uh, the best thing to do right now would be to make a short movie and produce it and direct it. Uh, you're thinking, okay, I'm looking at these shows and all of these networks and just approaching the shows as individual companies almost and just approaching them that way. So your vision of what show business is almost completely different than it was than somebody coming out 25 years ago. Yeah, it has to be. It's different than even like, uh, like I feel like early times, you know, like when like Shirley Temple and whatever and like Marilyn uh-huh. Monroe were doing things because everything was like way more connected. Like studios were telling actors where to live and right. letting them live on set. And like right. they kept tabs on like everyone. They don't keep tabs on people like they claim that they do. Yeah. Which is, like, really interesting to think about. Like, each show is, like, its own little business. And the showrunner is the strongest person. The studio can't get you hired on a show unless they have, like, a lot, a lot of power, which is, like, usually never the case. Only the showrunner can get you on a show. So you you should view it like that. Like, each show is a house. What's your favorite show right now? My favorite show right now is oh my god there's so many it has to be between insecure or succession or industry i like all three of those shows and they're all hbo what are you shooting for what kind of show do you want to create for yourself i would like to create a premium cable drama i mean comedy um like a true comedy ideally with three jokes per page if possible because i know like all these like dramedies are happening, but I think you can still get the emotion through with jokes. And obviously sometimes you would have to sacrifice it, but like, I think true comedies can still be had like on like cable and premium shows. I feel like that's constantly getting lost now. And yeah. assuming, they're like um, associating dramedy with premium. Yeah. I think it's uh, uh, refreshing if I may to hear that. Because, uh, yeah, you still need jab, jab, hook. Yeah. Every page. Or it's not really comedy. It, it gets loose and kind of unfocused, I think. And I think you're right. You can still carry, uh, grow those emotional roots. Uh, boy, this is the most intellectual I've ever sounded on my okay. own podcast. Uh, <laughs> grow those roots and, 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 and still get the comedy. Uh, sort of Larry Sanders of it all. Yeah, that's uh, that's smart. So, all right, we're going to talk sports in just a second, uh, uh, just for a little bit. But, uh, okay, so I think uh, networking is still the one constant. It seems like yeah. that's the one thing, whether it's, like you said, 1932 and you're Shirley Temple or Errol Flynn, or it's now and you're you. Um, make those connections yourself. Don't wait around for a team to do it for you. Get out. Uh, uh, do UCB. You're still doing UCB? Yeah, I'm still doing it. I do UCB and Groundlings. And then I also take additional like normal acting classes too. Wow. So do you sleep at all? Is there time for eating? 
uh, you well, seem so busy. <laughs> You're writing busy. novels. You just threw that out. That was a classic throwaway. Yeah, a uh, novel I did. Boom, tossed it out there. Uh, so, so you are you you are focused. Yeah, on, on this. Yeah, I love like you know having an audience and like making them laugh and like making them engage through story. That's like literally my favorite thing in the world. I am obsessed with like good stories. I've read like over a thousand books. I literally scroll on TikTok just looking for people to say horrible things about their lives so I can just absorb more stories. Um, But (laughs) um, I love how messy people are on the internet and tell you everything about their lives. That's like the best part. Um, But yeah, I'm just like obsessed with story. And so I really just want throughout my entire life to like find different ways to engage people through story. I know it will evolve with technology. Like I definitely am really interested in doing VR eventually, but um, when that time comes, I will be ready. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, you know, uh, the great John Ridley who started as a comedian, a stand-up comedian said once that when he was stuck uh, for stories or dialogue, he would go to Vegas and then uh, just go down to the casino floor and just overhear people's conversations yeah. and jot them down. And he said he had like 10 stories before the night was out. I love when people overshare. It's yeah. the best. <laughs> like I literally will specifically like keep Facebook friends or like add people that overshare. Cause I love it. I love that people like obsess over their mundane lives. That's the best. Yeah. Oh, that is the best. It's the best when uh, the mundane takes on incredible importance in people's lives. That's impressive. Hey, Spod, that tip, incidentally, sponsored by OCDC, the most meticulous ACDC cover band ever, and AutoZone. Find out what you ought to do from the know-it-alls at AutoZone. All right, let's talk a little sports. We're here. We already covered golf. Hey, are you watching golf? Do you watch golf for kicks? Do you like it? No way. It's too yeah, too much. Too much. Tennis is more interesting, but even then, I don't really understand the rules. Yeah, I think they kind of might uh, maybe. I think it's up to the judge. Makes up a lot of rules from that highfalutin platform he's on. All right, but you like the Lakers. Yes, I do. All right, now they washed out, uh, but uh, but had a lot of injuries. Are they coming back? LeBron says he's coming back. Is Anthony Davis too injury prone, or can he make it all the way back? I think that Kyle Kazuma is going to probably be gone. I think so. Because he's the hottest Laker. Yeah, looks-wise or statistics-wise, or both? Um, Looks-wise. I mean, like, everyone that, like, left, he was, like, one of the few young people that stayed when LeBron came. So, I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe if he had left, he would have been having better stats. Just like putting him on the bench and then taking him off was weird. Yeah. So um, he's like, he's. So you want to see more Kuzma? Yeah, I mean, I feel like he probably will be traded though. Wow, you think so? Yeah, I love LeBron, but I feel like um, for him, like when you have him on the team, people sort of like slack and don't do their best because they could just pass it to him. Yeah, you could be right. It's like having Vincent D'Onofrio in your cast. At but, some point you go, ah, you know what? He's going to carry this scene anyway. I'll just get my lines out. That's how good LeBron James is. Yeah, you might be right. I think Kobe was better, though, and he, like, literally 
carried the Lakers. And people yeah. were expecting LeBron to literally carry the Lakers. And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you get all those injuries. You got too much weight on your back. Would you ever think about shifting to the Clippers? No. Not just because of that weird scandal thing that happened with that owner. That's- oh, Donald Sterling, yeah. <laughs> that is literally the only reason. He's the re- like he ruined the Clippers for me. Wow, he just ruined uh, no no amount of uh, of uh, of uh, what if they trade Kuzma to the to Clippers? No, <laughs> leave him alone. <laughs> I think- All right, there you go. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly uh, Kuzma uh, is the key. Kuzma is the key. I like the phrase. Uh, my guest today, the amazing Camille Corbett. Follow her on Twitter at The Witty Girl. And what should we be watching on uh, Netflix uh, to get the latest from Camille Corbett? Um, what are you working embarrassing on? Embarrassing me. Uh, stop embarrassing me. And, uh, and uh, when... At work, like, are you working like uh, weekends at the Groundlings or uh, or UCB? Are those shows oh, or no, where? Because it's the pandemic. Oh, that's right. There's no shows. I actually am going to start doing stand up this week. I wrote five minutes, so it's just a matter of when I'm going to do it. But I don't want you guys to find me there. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so if you see a Camille Corbett on a uh, roster of comics. Go the other way. Go get yourself a cupcake or something. Uh, Camille, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. You got it. Follow me on Twitter at Chet Waterhouse and my comedian buddy at Real Jeff Cesario. His album, What Was I Thinking? Streaming everywhere. The uh, Chet Waterhouse mugs. Oh, that's right. They're on sale over at that jeffcesario.com. They're in the upper left-hand corner. You got to go up and click on it, and it'll take it. Ah, go, dude. He's going to get it. They're cute. They hold liquor and uh, everything. Sponsored, incidentally, uh, by Bananas, the banana guaranteed to ripen tomorrow. This is Chet Waterhouse reminding you to play with pain.